I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. So it's hard to believe, but the Ulster Rugby Roundup is back in traditional format for the first time this season. That, of course, means that me, Gareth Hanna, is joined once again by regular reporting duo, Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McCamber. Hey, guys. How did you get on in my absence? All good? I thought we did okay. I mean, you uh, did. We got no complaints or anything from good. people That's on Twitter, so I, I think my hosting must have gone pretty well. <laughs> Who did get on very well in my absence was, of course, Ulster. After those two European victories on Friday evening, things went to plan again. When Ulster beat Scarlet's 29-5 at Kingspan Stadium to say second in um, Pule, a uh, conference in, in the Pool 14. Let's discuss that to start off with. First 27 minutes was it Ulster scored four tries. After that, much more frustrating. So, in a game of two sections, what was your, your takeaway from that? They got the job done and they eased up a bit. You know, Scarlet's weren't coming back into that game. Last week, all the talk was, are Ulster going to rest players to conserve energy? They didn't do that. They essentially pulled their Irish internationals, if you like, out in a nice nod to Scarlet's having to play without their Welsh internationals. <laughs> Still put out a strong team. Can you understand perhaps fans' frustration that there's not that many home games to go to and they go to them probably want to be entertained? People love winning. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. My stance has softened on it a bit. I, I still would have liked Ulster to maybe maintain some of that sort of attacking intensity and part of it is the Scarlet's did sort of tighten up after that first half an hour and they kind of realised okay guys we haven't been very good in this um, in this first part of the game I agree somewhat with Johnny that they did just start to conserve energy and that's absolutely fine because you've got back to backs against Harlequins which could really put you in a good position in Europe and then you've got a big festive interpro period which we all know is going to be very tough as usual I do think you do you want to see them maintain some kind of that intensity I think it, it's a bit dangerous whenever you just say right job done let's kind of ease through to the end we saw Ulster I think at their best in that first half an hour there were still a few mistakes here and there which is fine Dan McFarlane made a good point afterwards that you can't play without risk otherwise things won't come off that gets you the tries but one of the other things is they're still looking for that 80 minute performance you know this one maybe you can say wasn't the right one to do it in purely because they probably did try to look to conserve a bit of energy at the same time it's still in the back of your mind we still haven't played a full 80 minute game proof will be in the pudding like we're talking about what i would look at as a three-week block after one game like if ulster go out lose to quinn's twice then obviously something's gone wrong mm. if they beat yeah. quinn's twice you can look at back at that and think well five points for half an hour is good work is relatively good going under the circumstances knowing that Scarlet's were coming here with half a team knowing the importance of the league points I think I was probably guilty this time last week of thinking Europe's too important Europe colours the season too much colours the mood around the place too much to really risk playing too strong a team in a Pro 14 game where there's margin for error but when you look at it like obviously Cheetah's got the win at Ospreys and then you look Mm -hmm. at Cheetah's fixtures list where they play I think they've got Kings to play three times and Zebra Mm -hmm. to play twice so they've got five of their remaining games are against the two worst teams in the league Mm -hmm. Glasgow didn't look good at all on Saturday night Leinster did Ulster a big favour in the sense that you can say Ulster aren't going to catch Leinster at the top of the table so to deny Glasgow any points from that whatever it was 30 phases in the last two minutes Mm -hmm. um, also got to bear in mind that Ulster have these festive games to come up and you know one of them 
you're going to play your shadow side. So I'm really looking forward to that trip to Dublin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so you, you're effectively saying we're not getting anything from that. So yeah, it is important to get points on the board. You know, just because I was looking at it yesterday, Ulster have a ten point buffer between themselves and Glasgow in fourth. If you're looking at uh, yeah. the the playoff spots, if you take out that one game during the Christmas period where you're assuming they're going to get nothing from, you've effectively only got a five or six point gap there because you'd imagine Glasgow will pick up at least one of their games against Edinburgh just the way those fixtures mm-hmm. tend to work out. So yeah, you're right, it's very important to get points on the board now, especially whenever the Scarlets were coming over a weekend. I do think they went out in that first sort of at least ten minutes looking like they just kind of came over and went, we're not going to win this game anyway, <laughs> yeah. so well, what's the point? How good were Ulster in that first half an hour? Adam says it was up there. It was some of their best rugby, was it? And what was so good about it? The variety in attack and just more things sticking in attack. Their problem has been continuity in attack for a number of weeks now. And when they've looked at their best this season, I think has been when whoever the 10 has been in this instance, it was Bill Johnson really pushing that crossfield kick as another option so you have your pot of forwards as an option out the back and then you've got a third option so that's very hard to defend against when the team can do any one of three things they still had go forward ball through Katsia and Treadwell who I thought carried the ball really well in the game was giving them that option more things were coming off when they were going out the back door bypassing the forwards and then you had this real weapon where they'd obviously targeted during the week with Robert Balakoon at six foot four on the wing and just kicking the ball over to him you know at the end of the day the more varied your attack is the harder it is to defend Mm -hmm. we've seen that probably since people started playing rugby that's been that's been true the less mistakes you make in attack the easier it is to sustain possession for minute upon minute upon minute which while the statistics would show that once you get into double digit phases your chances of scoring decreases mm-hmm. there's no doubting that it is hard to defend against because it saps the opposition of energy and morale really and I think we saw that with just as Adam said Scarlet's probably being like we're on a hiding to nothing here yeah I make no apologies for trying to steer the, the chat in the direction of one individual for the foreseeable future now in that it was Robert Balakoon's first start a try for Robert Balakoon after his hat-trick for Balna Hinch what was, was it the week before uh, no, a few weeks ago a couple, but, a couple of weeks um, before how good was he on Friday night and how much did he show just what Ulster has been missing this season I'm going to take that second point there I don't think he's necessarily shown really what Ulster have been missing I think he's just shown another dimension as to what Ulster can have in that back mm-hmm. three if you look at Robert Little quite a small winger but very elusive with his feet you look at Jacob Stockdale a very big winger who is very physical Louis Ludic is kind of that solid guy who'll make his tackles. He might not be the most explosive mm-hmm. ball carrier, but he knows how to pick a gap and he will always give you solid defence. Robert Balakoon, funny enough, he, he came up after the game and he said he prides himself in his defence more than his, his attack. But in attack, he's got pace to burn. He's got a real good sense for the try line. I thought he was really unlucky for Cooney's try. He, he was stopped just short and mm-hmm. I, I thought he'd actually made his way over, but he was... Uh, he was just short. Whenever you've got that height as well, you're just instantly the target of the crossfield kick. And whenever mm-hmm. Bill Johnson was dropping it into his hands every single time, it's just that extra dimension that you're able to add. And I think that's the big thing that we learned from the weekend. Ulster have a lot of different combinations they can use based on the opposition that they're going to face. What's your favourite though? Are, are, we're assuming everyone's fit, or are we, well, talk, are we talking about four Harlequins next week? Four Harlequins. 
for Harlequins. So t- take Addison out of the mix. I think you're going with Ludic, Stockdale and Balakun. I think Balakun played his way into the team last week. If they had all been available, I think Dan McFarlane would have stuck with the three he had. Addison, Ludic and Stockdale. But you take two of those out, I think pretty much you were having a straight shootout for that final wing slot between Balakun and Gilroy, which is why they both started. And I think of the two, Balakun was just that little bit more dangerous. Balakun was just that little bit more sharp. I think Man of the Match was maybe a little bit favourable for him, but I thought I thought he was uh, excellent on the wing there. Especially having been out for so long, to come back in and have that impact immediately mm-hmm. was uh, was fantastic. The thing that I like about him is how much he... How, how sorry how well he uses the touchline defensively like it's for another day because you could debate it till you're blue in the face the value of sevens transferring into the 15s game i know there's people with different opinions on whether this is the best course for Aaron sexton or whatever the way that he uses the touchline defensively so smartly to me is something that he's learned in sevens and you can see how valuable that aspect of his game is and what is the start of a new era for Ireland what sort of potential has Balakun got has he got an, an international future I think if you look at his the rate of his rise then obviously he does because he's going to continue to get better we always say it but we're not too far detached from him playing in a junior cup final for Enniskillen the rate of his rise is actually very similar to Jacob Stockdale's in the, in the space of a year he's established himself as a very important member of the squad now Stockdale's a little bit different in that he came onto the scene and immediately just like started scoring tries and playing like a man of the match level every week but Balakun's rise from effectively nobody really knowing who he was into someone who you could put on the wing in a Champions Cup game and not be worried about him being there Mm -hmm. is incredible and it's not too dissimilar to what Mm -hmm. Stockdale did. Well I mean he was really important in the Champions Cup last year. Um, He obviously scored the try that essentially got them to the quarterfinal. You know you're looking at you know you make the Stockdale comparison in terms of their age they're not too far apart really are they? You're obviously talking about in relation to the Six Nations. I mean Rob Carney's still there. You've still got Jordan Larmer. You've still got Jacob Stockdale. You've still got Keith Earls. You know not much has changed. Conway who's the form back three player in Ireland and then the raft of players that were able to impress in their absence which obviously Balakin wasn't able to do through injury like I don't think we're going to see him not for the Six Nations basically yeah no down the line I think he could be maybe it's you know in a Lions year or something like that in the same way that we Mm. saw Stockdale and James Ryan do that you know he's, he's got to show a consistent run of form first because if Rob Little was available this week I would still have Rob Little in there well, like given, Rob Little, given that he's Rob Little played really well this season yeah he's, he's mm-hmm. been consistently good this year whereas Balakun's come back in had one good appearance now I'm not saying this will happen but there's every possibility that Balakun's form will drop off a cliff now bear, bear in mind Ulster well Ulster's squad as a whole is still extremely young yeah. but they're back three you, know, you could have a back three of guys completely under 23 and you would be completely assured that these guys would have a good game in a mm. Champions Cup game I'm just going to start a campaign to get Robert Balakun in the Ireland team now as, as soon as possible might start going to press conferences and all and just asking relentless questions about him why he's not in the squad well, this is, is he turning you know, into th- the next Mike Lowry yeah I think well yeah he did for me a long time ago but Mike Lowry should be back this week so Mike Lowry remains Mike Lowry <laughs> <laughs> moving on to next Next week then, obviously it is the return of the European campaign, uh, the back-to-back fixtures against Harlequins Ulster are away in the first one, so what can... No, they're home. Nope, they're, they're home, home. Yeah. home on Saturday. I'm sorry guys. Quarter I can, underst- three kick-off. I can understand back. why Money you're back, confused, guys, right? like, well I'm, like, I'm not even back, and I know. <laughs> you dare. So, <laughs> Harlequin, Ulster are home to Harlequins first this weekend. 
What can we expect for Ulster squad-wise? Have we got any difference in availability to last week that we know of? Assuming that Marty Murray's fit, the big selection calls are going to be who starts alongside Ian Henderson, mm-hmm. who starts at six, and whether Billy Burns is fit. It didn't look particularly promising, but mm-hmm. by all accounts, he should be okay. He's been playing through injury for a few weeks, and it's, it's one of those ones where you know if it happened in the first game of the season you might say right just set it out for a few weeks but the games are so important right now that you can't afford for him to do that so that's taking nothing away from Bill Johnson who I thought had his best game in an Ulster shirt at, yeah, by some distance. at the weekend by some distance Burns I think has settled into that role as a fly half alongside John Cooney really well and who are we expecting to see beside Henderson I think Alan O'Connor's played some really really good rugby the last three weeks I think Karen Treadwell had a good game on on Friday I'd probably still expect to see Alan O'Connor and then have Treadwell bringing a bit of ballast off the bench but like basically if Treadwell can do that on a consistent basis and you get him at that level like say that he was at in the quarterfinal last year then I think he's probably the starter mm-hmm. but the way it is at the minute the way Alan O'Connor's playing I think he gives you real good work at the lineouts. I think he's probably underrated in that regard and especially on opposition ball at the lineout and then I think you have Treadwell probably better suited to bringing the energy off the bench it all depends, I think, where Dan McFarland sees there being more of an opportunity early on if you're able to get at Quinn's through your ball carriers, which I think there might be a possibility of doing. We saw Ben Morgan's try against them at the weekend where you just kind of keep grinding away through the forwards and Treadwell give you that more than O'Connor. So I think it, it all depends how Dan McFarland wants to play the game. If, if he wants to try and take them on up front, you might see Treadwell playing, but O'Connor's just... You know O'Connor will give you a 7 out of 10 yeah. performance every week. What about the back row then? Katsia and Murphy are starting. It's either Matty Ray or Sean Reedy. This decision probably comes down to who starts in the second row. Because if you start O'Connor, then you don't need Ray for his line-out prowess, mm. which means Reedy probably starts. But if you start Treadwell for a bit more ballast, you maybe put Ray in to be a jumper at the line-out. <laughs> so, so the decision... At six, probably starts with a decision at five, actually. I would start yeah. I'd, I'd start, Ray O'Con- at I'd start O'Connor. O'Connor and Ray oh. at home, and then I would probably start Reedy in the away game. Yeah. I'd start Fair. O'Connor and Reedy this week, especially whenever you have Chris Robshaw in that back row. I think Murphy and Robshaw will effectively probably cancel each other out at the breakdown mm. as two very similar players, but... Um, it all depends if then Harlequins want to start Will Evans, who's been a great breakdown operator for them this season. Uh, if they do that, then I think you'd quite like to have Sean Reedy there, just, just as that. And then you can let Marcel get on with the ball carrying, as well as pilfering at the breakdown every so often. I'm really looking forward to seeing Marcel Cassia go up against Alex Dombrandt. That's going to be a huge collision mm. in the back row, because he came back last week and was really good against Gloucester after a few weeks of just you know, riding the pine on the bench. So how do we see it going? Harlequins have won only won two of their first five league games and then they obviously won one last one in the European first two. You know, they've either won three games all season or they've won two in a row. So you can paint you, you can paint it whatever way you want really, can't you? I think Ulster should win. I think they're a better team. And I think if they win here on Saturday in a 4-0 or 5-0, then I think they essentially knock Harlequins out who would be playing. It's a bit too early in the season to be talking about crunch games, but they've then got Wasps the week after, the mm-hmm. week before Christmas, in what will be a huge game between really a raft of big clubs who look like they could go down in the Premiership. Mm-hmm. The relegation battle in England is going to colour the remainder of this pool because at present and it is early days even earlier days in the, the premiership because they started later 
the two English teams are right involved in that that are in Ulster's pool Harlequins if they lose this weekend just know that they're a bigger fish to fry yeah. elsewhere and while they'll, they'll probably put up a big fight at home regardless of the result this weekend you know no side ever wants to lose a home game in front of their own fans mm. but Ulster can go out there and I think this week is the week where you really want to set a marker down you can get away with putting four tries on the board and then just coasting home this week if you can you know put six seven tries past them and mm-hmm. really knock the stuffing out of them that'll really hurt them for the next week I'm not seven tries yeah I'm not say, I'm not saying that's gonna happen if Ulster find themselves you know playing well I scored four tries in 27 minutes last weekend I think Ulster would be very happy with a win this week. You know, I, I don't even think a bonus point is necessary this week. So I think they'd take a win and go to the stoop confident that they mm. could do a job over there. But if they get the four tries at any point during mm. that game, I think the message will be, don't let up, this has to be a double. Well, Addison, well, as you said earlier, we're discounting him for this week because he's not going to play a part uh, until the Connick game because Ulster did not appeal. We didn't really hear much on decision-wise from Ulster, do we know sort of what they're thinking? They, was said, they, said, they said in post-match on Friday night that they're not going to appeal it. Yeah. Appeals are a dangerous sure what they're thinking was behind it. Yeah, just because essentially you can read between the lines of that statement where it always says the ban was cut in half on the basis of good behaviour in the past and a guilty plea or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. There was no guilty plea from Will Addison so he got four games. When you compare that to some other bans for things like eye-gouging that's obviously ridiculous. Yeah. In their wisdom, the people in charge of these things really do not take kindly to people lacking an admission of guilt. So it's already cost them one game. There is a real chance that if they had have appealed it, he could have got even more games. Like, he could yeah. have got six. Finally, Luke Marshall's interview last week was uh, very interesting to read, to say the least. Um, he pointed out uh, that he was discussing just the approach that opposition teams have towards Ulster and have traditionally had towards Ulster and he used the example of what Bill Johnson told the Ulster players whenever he came in and how they were viewed and basically that opposition teams thought that basically if you give Ulster enough rope they'll hang themselves and in the last few minutes if it's going to be tight Ulster will throw it away. What do we, what do we take from that? Well it, the point of it was that he's saying that Ulster aren't like that anymore. Yes. So there's a positive side to it. Which stitches into a wider narrative that certainly I've noticed since I've been back of an awful lot of players saying things like this and but talking about it in the past tense. Mm-hmm. Now Ulster were always aware of this. Like going back into the days of Les Kiss, there was a big board up in one of the team rooms that had a heading of how we're seen and how we want to be seen and the contrast. Mm-hmm. So Ulster were always aware of what other teams thought about them as being flaky and being soft and the fact that you tie that in with like Ian Henderson saying he's never been involved in an Ulster squad and the trains this way the fact that at the meet the players even in last week people were saying that this is the tightest knit squad and has the best work ethic to be more of a negative journalist about it it's more interesting in the sense of what was going on before mm-hmm. so what's changed and this is the pro- this is the thing that you can't pin them down on because they say this and then your immediate follow up question is like what's the difference like why weren't you doing all these things before and they just kind of change the subject and move on the obvious thing to look at is Dan McFarland from the reaction of Dan McFarland to some of the things that have been said that he particularly wants the focus to be put on him and the change that he's been able to instill but it has to be down to him because otherwise why has it lasted so long 
Well, people are starting to arrive for the press conference, so we better leave it there. So, for the first week back together, it's been a joy. Thank you very much, Pervy. So, from uh, John Bradley. Thank you. Adam Cameron. Cheers, guys. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.